0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we'll welcome Becky Stowe, director of forests at the Nature Conservancy. She's here to talk about the Gopher Tortoise Head Start Program, which has released more than 400 endangered gopher tortoises. We'll talk about the goal for those endangered animals and what the ultimate goal for the program is. Also, Dr. Major here, as usual, for your pet questions. And Libby's ready to discuss your recent brushes with nature. Join our conversation with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Remind you that uh, if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So, good morning, everyone. We'll start with Libby. Uh, Libby, anything new outside your house these days?
2: Oh, let's see. I've been watching rose-breasted gross beaks. Uh, they migrate through Mississippi, and I usually get them in the spring as they're going to breed further north. They don't breed around here. And then um, now they're, they're coming back south, and I've had four this morning, and that's been fun to watch. And uh let's see gosh we've got a, a visiting scientist here uh Susan Ballinger Dr. Ballinger studies um bird diseases so she's studying house finches and she's looking for some house finches with uh, a, a disease and it it um, manifests itself as a conjunctivitis so that the, the birds you know they look like they have pink eye well they do have pink eye I guess um So she's looking for those today. So she's um, putting up some mist nets. So I've been watching that from the port. So it's kind of exciting.
1: Uh, I was down in uh, Gulfport this last weekend and went to the new aquarium. Uh, I would give it high marks, a uh, lot of interesting exhibits. The, didn't get to see the dolphins. I think their arrival was delayed by some of the severe weather we've had on the coast uh, in the last uh, several weeks. Uh, and it looks like they'll be set up not only to observe them in their tank, but also looks like a little uh, amphitheater-type situation where there might be some uh, dolphin shows in the near future. Uh, one of the ma- things I really liked was they had a small aviary area, and so it was uh, outside in you know, a kind of an enclosed uh, area. And, boy, you could get so close to the birds in there. It was really fascinating getting get a really good look at some of the colorful birds in there that they have. It was kind of funny. A, a um, helicopter flew over while we were in there, and that certainly didn't sit well with the birds. And all of them kind of flittered around but eventually settled back down. And, again, I was really impressed with how close you can get to them so you can get a good look at them. Uh, and then the giant tank, which is basically a, you know, a three-story uh, tank that's the main uh, exhibit in the uh, in the aquarium, Uh, was really great, a lot of different fish in there. So uh, uh, my friend and I enjoyed the visit, and I would say if you're down uh, going to the Gulf Coast or down there and uh, would like to have a fun thing to do, I certainly would recommend uh, the new aquarium there. Uh, Oh, I'm
2: so glad you got to go. Oh, I want to mention, too, and I thought about you, we camped on the Mississippi River Saturday night, went up a little... uh, Launched the boat at Vicksburg and went up north of Terra and went to Willow Point Island and camped out. And it was absolutely beautiful. I know it wasn't quite as um, peaceful in these experiences as John Rusky's paddling trips, but we had fun in the motorboat and we got to camp out and watch that wonderful full moon. That was really fun.
1: Uh, so, let me. Last week, we ran out of time before we could get to an email of a strange-looking insect, and uh, I think you've got had a chance to look at it and have some information for us.
2: Yes, those were um, um, ichneumon wasps, and um, there it's a uh, a narrow-waisted mo- wasp, and uh, that one was one of the large um, ichneumon wasps. And they have a long ovipositor that is longer than their body, and uh, it was a, a female. And she, w- the neat thing in the pictures, you could tell she was probing the, um, the tree bark, and they actually um, can find a beetle larva under the bark of the tree and deposit their eggs into that beetle larva, and then their eggs hatch and parasitize the beetle larva. So it's, it's one of those weird science fiction type things. But, um, you know, I guess I, to stress, we can think, oh, my gosh, what a cruel. Idiot. And it, nature can be cruel. We've talked about that, too. But um, that's the only way that an ignumid wasp can um, reproduce or these certain species of, of this wasp. So, um, you know, it's not a choice. They're not deciding to be cruel to that uh, beetle larvae. That's the only way they can reproduce. And uh, our our listener had taken some pretty good pictures so we could figure out what was going on. And she was, it looked like she at one point there in one of the pictures had actually pierced the bark to lay her eggs.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, Dr. Major, I know that you're an insect collector. Are you familiar with those kinds of wasps?
3: Yes, I am. I have uh, two or three of those in my collection. Actually, but they're they're really remarkable that uh, long ovipositor uh, looks like a circle almost and when they're not uh, probing the bark or whatever they're probing and uh, they're they're pretty cool. Uh, they are harmless, I think. I don't think they would sting or bite anybody, but uh, they're they are amazing, okay
1: yeah uh, and would they yeah. are they fairly common in Mississippi?
3: You don't see them that often. Uh, I don't think we see swarms of them, for example, but uh, occasionally around uh, lights at night, uh, maybe on the screen or something like that, you'll see them. Uh, That's probably the most common way to see them.
2: Troy, this was a pretty shiny black one with um, an orange or a, a golden yellow face. And um, it was it was
3: really a pretty wasp. Sounds like she really got a good great photo of that uh, wasp. It's great, and uh, it's uh, nature is very amazing. And as you say, it can be cruel at times, but that's the way it is. Uh, A lot of people don't like to watch the uh, African, uh, you know, the lion movies and this sort of thing because they kill prey and everything. But that's part of part of life, and it's part of. Uh, what we have to learn to accept and understand.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they, this insect is considered a beneficial insect because yes. many of the larvae that it parasitizes are um, beetles that eat our our food crops. So mm-hmm. considered to be good to have around your yard, and they, they can't hurt you or your pets. So if you see an ignomin' wasp, you might just um, learn to appreciate it its unique role in the web of
3: life. And there, there are a lot of uh, the smaller uh, wasps that are predaceous on pests, and uh, I have one of those uh, boxes in my garden, and uh, they will actually uh, inhabit a small tube. Uh, they'll put uh, their prey in there and then lay their eggs and hatch it, they hatch out, and that's how they survive. So they, but they are uh, actually considered to be a a good, good insect to help with some of the uh, more, uh, what should I say, not dangerous, but more uh, destructive type uh, insects that can damage our plants.
1: So, Dr. Major, uh, Hurricane Delta uh, is uh, scheduled or anticipated to make landfall in uh, Louisiana f- tomorrow, I think it is. Uh, and as uh, we deal with another bout of severe weather, uh, maybe some reminders on what we should keep in mind uh, to keep our pets safe as as we're staying safe as well.
3: Absolutely. And uh, we have to uh, certainly have our prayers and Feelings for Lake Charles sounds like they're right in the path, again, of uh, Delta uh, after the last hurricane. But one of the things to consider, whether you're there or anywhere uh, where you might have an emergency and you never know when that might be, is to keep records for your pets, have carriers available for the smaller ones, uh, and it's very important. Uh, The shelters always get inundated with pets. Uh, that uh, are not able to be uh, owners don't take them with them or whatever, and some of the shelters, like in Mobile, for example, with the last hurricane, uh, some of the shelters were flooded. So uh, a lot of several people from this area went down and helped with uh, taking those animals out of the shelters where they had flooded. So be cognizant and your personal safety as well as the safety of your pets, and provide. Uh, maybe food, uh, a carrier for the small ones like cats. Cats are very apt to get away if you don't uh, have them in a carrier and, and also your, your dogs. But uh, be aware that uh, these things are destructive, and the flooding, of course, usually is the worst part of it, not necessarily always, but uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers go out for the whole uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Gulf Coast right now.
1: Very well said. Uh, Time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll welcome to the show our guest, Becky Stowe. As the Director of Forest at the Nature Conservancy, she's going to talk to us today about the Gopher Tortoise Head Start Program and how they're helping these endangered animals grow. Dr. Major will stay on hand, ready for your pet questions, and Libby's here uh, to add her voice as well. Call in with your questions and comments. Our phone number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more, so stay tuned.
4: Week, we explore practical advice about law, health and gardening. We delve into arts, cooking, and people in places that make our state great. Contribute now at mpbonline.org. MPB and you, let's do this together.
1: You're listening to Creature Comforts. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation with your question or comment, the phone number is one 877 ring. It's one 672 Seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. Now we'll welcome to the show our guest Becky Stowe. Becky, thanks for being with us on the program this morning.
5: Good morning. I'm glad to be here.
1: Uh, tell us a little about your background and the work that you do at the Nature Conservancy.
5: So I've been with the Conservancy about 18 years now. My background is in uh, biology and also anthropology, and I did archaeology for a long time, so I have kind of a varied background, but um, one of the things I do for the Nature Conservancy is uh, their forest program, so restoring longleaf pine and and that sort of thing, and one of our programs is with the military at Camp Shelby, and that's where we're doing this Head Start program.
1: Right, Uh, so the Nature Conservancy is working with the Army National Guard at Camp Shelby down there in South Mississippi Uh, They released 94 gopher tortoises into the wild of the longleaf pine system. Uh, Tell us about that release and and what you're hoping uh, to do with the Head Start program.
5: Sure. Well, what we've done is over the last several years, we collect the eggs from the gopher tortoise nest, and then we incubate them, and then we raise them to to where they're two years old. And so we released about 87 of those two-year-olds a few weeks ago. And from a few years back, we had held on to just a few of the tortoises instead of letting, of releasing them. We held on to them and continued to grow them. So part of the Head Start program is that we give them optimal life to make them grow really fast. So those two-year-olds are given a lot of, of daylight. Uh, it's not really daylight, but it's light in their uh tortoise building and they're fed really good greens and vegetables all they can possibly eat and it's making them grow pretty fast so our two-year-olds are actually the size of seven or eight-year-old in the wild and we held on to some of those for five years and released five of those here recently that are five years old and those tortoises are almost as big as you know 15 20 year old large tortoises in the wild. So we're able to grow them really large, really fast.
1: And so obviously that would be a benefit of, of being able to, you know, survive. And does that in a way kind of strengthen the overall population of the tortoises?
5: Well, that's what we're trying to do. So if we can raise these tortoises where they're bigger than the mouths of a lot of their predators. then they have a much greater chance of being able to make it in the wild. Just the babies, when they're first hatched out, they're predated on by all sorts of things. So they don't have much of a chance of survival. And that's the big problem is we're not seeing a lot of young tortoises out in the wild. We see quite a few large ones, but not the little ones. So that's what we're trying to do is just boost that population.
1: We're going to be visiting with uh, Becky throughout the hour. We do have a caller on the line, I think, with a dog question. So let's say good morning to Lou, who's called in today. Go ahead, Lou. You're on the air with us.
0: Hey, good morning. Uh, I, I live outside of Orlando, Florida, in a town called Oakland, and we have a nature preserve that has many gopher tortoises, and they're beautiful. we dig in their holes and walk around and look at them. But I actually have a dog question about my dog. Um, I've got a, I don't want to say very old dog, but I guess 13 for my dog. He's a um like a shih tzu mix uh my wife knows all the dog mixes i just know he's a little dog and he's missing most of his teeth except for a couple and this might sound like a ridiculous question but do they make doggy dentures or implants and if so are they just like so ridiculously expensive it's just not worth it
3: right i understand your question two things one it is quite expensive uh i would say that these teeth he only has two left, did you say?
0: Yeah, two or three, you know, approximately.
3: And, you know, other than cosmetically, I would say that I would not try to do any dentures or implant. Uh, implant possibly would work, but, yes, you're looking at a lot of expense. And he's eating okay, right? I mean, there shouldn't yeah, be not, any Yes, we problem give him soft there.
0: food. You know, we don't give him hard food anymore. We just give him soft food and... and uh and he, and, he, and he loves table scraps that we cut up into pieces. So, right. yeah, he's, he's, eating, he's eating good. So, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. I just thought right. maybe, maybe a, I'm doing something great. wrong with him.
3: No, no, it's a great question. But in, in all frankness, uh, it would be putting him through a lot, both anesthetic-wise and possibly pain-wise, which can be controlled. But I really feel like that it would not be uh, advisable at his age.
0: I appreciate that. I feel a lot more comfortable about them.
3: You know, we love our dogs, so it's strong. Thanks a lot. Great. Right. Thanks, yeah,
1: thank Lou. You. Glad uh, you called in this morning. Uh, we're visiting today with Becky Stowe from the Nature Conservancy, and we've begun our discussion about the uh, Gopher Tortoise Head Start Program, where uh, the Nature Conservancy, working with the Army National Guard, releases some of these uh, tortoises in Camp Shelby in South Mississippi after sort of giving them a head start by uh, raising them uh, for the first couple of years of their life. So, Becky, is there any issue with the ones that you raised sort of adapting to conditions once you release them?
5: Well we haven't seen any issues yet. Now we're we are monitoring them and what's really funny is when you first release them, so I went out there and watched them being released this past few weeks, they start eating anything they see. So they'll pick up pine straw and grass it's just like they're they've been you know shown this whole new world because they've been in this building in this very insulated environment for the first two years of their life where they're hand fed and you know they have everything right there but they get out there and they just are trying everything and we release them in a really good uh, habitat that's already been restored really nice longleaf with lots of grasses and things for them to eat and lots of um, burrows already there large burrows so they're they're able to um, dig their little burrows pretty quickly, and, and they seem to adapt really well.
1: Are there some safeguards that you put in place uh, while raising them to try to make sure they don't, I th- what is it, imprinting, or that they're able to survive and do well once you do release them?
5: I don't know about the safeguards. Um, they do see people every day because they have to be uh, soaked in water, you know, to get, make sure they're hydrated and they're fed every day. But, you know, for the most part, they're just interacting with the other tortoises. A lot of times we have, you know, not just one in a in a container, we'll have two in a container. So they do get to see other tortoises.
1: Got some callers on the line. Why don't we start with our friend Sue, who has called in from Beaumont this morning. Go ahead, Sue, you're on the air with us.
5: Good morning.
2: I, I read the article in our Singing River newsletter about the release of these tortoises and um I'm just wondering, once they get to that certain size where you release them, do they have any natural enemies then? I mean, what, what could harm them? Do coyotes or anything eat them? or what?
5: Besides man, what can harm them once they get to that age? Yeah, once they're really big, they don't have very many predators. So once they're that large, yeah, probably we're the biggest predator. You know, people, cars, that sort of thing. But, you know, also the, you know, the, the destruction of their habitat that's their biggest enemy right there so if we can keep a nice habitat for them they will probably do just fine well good thank you
1: all right sue always good to hear from you uh we're visiting today with becky stowe from the nature conservancy uh so becky has this adult release program uh, attracted some interest around the country and if so w- what is unique about it is this the first time or one of the first times this type of program is being tried
5: So, I think this is one of the first times this has been tried. So, we are seeing in the lab with these, you know, five-year-old tortoises that are the same size as a mature wild tortoise. We're seeing some signs that they're, you know, interested in each other. So, they're doing some little uh, head bobbing and, and some actions like that that show that, you know, maybe they're ready to reproduce So we're hoping if we can raise them to five or six years old and get them big enough where the predators can't get them, that they'll start reproducing in the wild pretty quickly. Whereas in the wild, a mature tortoise, I mean, it would have to probably be 20, 25 years old before it would even start laying eggs. So you're looking at a long time span before they can even start reproducing. So if we can give them a jump start in that, then we can, uh, you know... We're well on our way to establishing a good population.
1: We've got another caller on the line that wants to talk about the tortoises, so we say good morning to Harry in Pascagoula. Harry, thanks for joining us. Go ahead.
6: Hey, thanks. Hey, Becky. Listen, I was wondering, um, do we have any comparison of uh, the tortoises that were released at two years old to uh, the tortoises that you kept within the breeding program? Um, how, how are they what's the how are they doing after the release uh do we have that much data yet or are we still waiting on that
5: well it's pretty early for us but what we're seeing right now is about 70% survival which is you know far higher than you would see in wild hatchlings So our, and I'm not a herpetologist, but our herpetologist at Camp Shelby, he keeps up with all those statistics and is carefully, you know, watching the the trends to to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Because we certainly don't want to release them and have every one of them, you know, eaten or, you know, predated somehow.
6: Right. And uh, what what is our general wild population of gophers right now?
5: well it's declining and that's the big problem and and one of the the you know the signs of that is we're not seeing the juveniles so you know we have a you know we have all these mature tortoises out there they're just getting older and older and we're not seeing the recruitment we're not seeing the replacements for them
6: right and but uh, what is the actual number or estimated number of wild gopher tortoises that we have right now do we even have an estimate
5: there probably is, but I don't know the answer to that. I could try to find out.
6: Okay. I was just, uh, I'm re- I'm reminiscing. I remember uh, when we did the red wolf propagation program and we raised all these red wolf pups and kennels and stuff, and then we tried to release them, and they didn't do very well. But then, uh, right. you know, down here on the coast, um, they tried the island propagation program where they had a pair released into uh, horn Island and cause they had an Eastern cottontail population. So they had all this free food, you know, and they, and the parents, you know, trained their pups to hunt and everything. And then, then they caught them after two years and then released them in the Smokies and every one of those that were uh, kind of raised in a simulated wild situation, uh, they all did well. And I was just wondering, uh, are they having to learn new stuff? Being you know raised in captivity for two years and then released, are are they getting enough to eat? Do they know how to forage? Uh, i was just curious on how that that's actually working out.
5: Yeah, we're we're still learning too. And uh, like I mentioned before, you know what I have observed, just my you know a few times going out watching them being released, is that they immediately start foraging. And I'm sure it is a learning curve. And this this head start program is not the answer. To the declining population it's just going to be one of the answers to it but yeah i do remember the red wolves and i remember them also being released it seems like on the atlantic coast and they started predating sea turtle nest which
6: yeah, yeah. A big problem. <laughs> i remember that <laughs> um one of, is the uh, gopher tourist uh, reserve still going on in the in jackson county down in gochey
5: that I, know I don't was, know. I know there's some mitigation, some gopher tortoise mitigation banks up in Greene County. I'm not sure about Jackson County.
1: Okay. All right.
6: I remember back to, okay, I'll let you go. But thanks for uh, sharing, Becky. Sure thing.
1: Thanks, Harry, from the call from Pascagoula. Time for another break. Uh, when we return, we'll continue talking with our guest, Becky Stowe, from the Nature Conservancy about the gopher tortoise. Uh, we'll focus on other work by the Nature Conservancy in our discussion later in the hour as well. We're always ready for your pet questions and other brushes with nature that you'd like to report to us. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this.
5: Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website,
4: money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting
2: platform.
1: Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science on Creature Comforts. And our guest for the hour is Becky Stowe, the forest director of the Nature Conservancy. If you miss any of today's program, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app and you have access to all the Think Radio programs on your schedule. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. Got some calls to get to. We'll start with a pet question from our friend Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen.
4: Uh, good morning, guys. I've got an odd one for you today. Uh, this one is about my cat, Handsome. He's a chocolate, uh, I guess, short hair, with blue eyes. Don't know how he got in the family here, but he's here. Um, He was bit by something outside because he likes to go outside. And uh, it was right where the tail meets the body. And it didn't look bad, but there was a lump. So, you know, I kind of put a little warm water in a face cloth and wiped everything off and I couldn't see anything. Well, a couple days later, we did see looked like two punctures. So I'm assuming, I hate to do that, but I'm assuming it was a snake. A lot of frogs were around here at the time. Well, they kept opening up the cut, and it would get bigger, and then I'd put the triple antibiotic and all that stuff on it. It would get better, and then it would open up in a different area around there. Now, do that again, it got better. But over this period of time, that she has basically recovered from that, the coloring in his coat, that he was a dark chocolate, nearly black, he is now got the markings of like a Siamese, just the black around the ears and the chip around the tail. His whole back and all the chocolate in his fur has turned white and in a matter of three months. Now, the cat's 14, I know. When they get old, they get white. But I didn't think it would happen like three months. Any ideas on that?
3: couple of thoughts. Number one, chances of that being a snake bite are very slim. Uh, even though he's 14 years old, he didn't go sit down on a snake. He probably was running from another cat. Uh, it's very common for a uh, cat bite to begin to swell and even abscess. I don't know if you saw any drainage from that.
4: Yes, uh, there
3: was. Right, but it's very common. Usually, a lot of times with a cat bite, you'll have a couple of punctures, and then two or three days later, it starts to swell, uh-huh. And then, given a little bit more time, it'll start to drain. This can be that's kind of a bad place there around the tail. All I can say about the color change would be that he probably was stressed from this, and uh, at this age, I would say that's highly unusual for him to change change the color type thing so well,
4: well, the I don't have the in- answer for that. <laughs> I was just going to ask was it change in the color of the coat any indication to his health but he looks like he's doing fine but it was just so odd
3: right it is odd but uh, i would say that probably if he's got his hair coat and it looks good you've got you a semi-new cat there (laughs) 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 all right thank
4: you i'm enjoying the show i'm a turtle nut i actually have abigail beatrice clementine daffodil (laughs) and eugenie out in the yard they're wild but they come up in one I was gardening one time, and it dug a hole right on the side of me and laid an egg, two feet from my foot, and then went back to the woods. I don't know where her partner is. I'm going nasty quite, questions, <laughs> but I love them just the same. All right. So have, have a good day.
1: Good to hear from right. you, Kathleen. Uh, let's move on with another call. It's uh, Diane from Polkville has a call for our guest, Becky Stowe. Diane, you're on the air with us. Go ahead.
4: Um, Hello. Hey um, uh yes Mrs. Stowe I was wondering is there a particular region of Mississippi where you guys are releasing these uh little
5: little teenage tortoises? Yeah there is we're doing it on Camp Shelby so in the very the, the tortoises in Mississippi only live in south Mississippi so we're picking really you know good suitable longleaf pine uh habitat for those to be released in a protected area on Camp Shelby that's where we're putting them
4: That's interesting. All right. Okay. Um, I I was wondering because actually, you know, um, a friend of mine did have a gopher tortoise in her uh, yard (laughs) one time. Mm -hmm. um, This was back, uh, I guess, uh, at the turn of the century now. Gosh, that's 20 years ago. But um, it was in Octavaha County, um, and it was a large one. It was huge. It was uh, definitely a a full-grown adult, and she didn't know what it was at first and she called me over there and she was kind of afraid of it and it was you know it had burrowed down into the ground and it was hissing you know um and obviously it had its rear end to her you know but she didn't know what to do about it and her dogs were freaking out about it and i said that's a gopher tortoise you know and and you know don't don't touch it leave it alone you know but (laughs) that was all the way up in octubaha you
5: know yeah, that's, that would be very unusual to find one up there unless it had been, you know, moved from a different location and, and released, you know, in her yard or something like that. Yeah, that would be unusual.
3: How big, how big do you think that tortoise was weight-wise?
4: Uh, I'd say 20 or 30 pounds.
3: Yeah. I'm just wondering if that was maybe a sulcata-type tortoise uh, that somebody had as a pet and released.
4: That's
5: what I thought, yeah. Maybe it was a different kind of tortoise.
3: I'm, I'm was, thinking that may be hard. the case if it's that big. Those tortoises, some of those can get up uh, to where I can't pick them up. They, they can get that big, so that's possibly what that was.
1: All right, uh, Diane. Thanks for your call. Good to hear from you this morning. Uh, so, Becky, earlier you mentioned that one of the the main things uh, that affects uh, the population of the gopher tortoise is its eco uh, is its uh, habitat. Uh, and we talked about the longleaf pine system uh, being critical to the success and growth of the tortoise. What does the Nature Conservancy do to help make sure that we're, there is a strong longleaf pine uh, ecosystem for the tor- tortoises to live in?
5: Well, we have partnerships with a lot of different state agencies and federal agencies and, and private landowners across the state. And and what we do is really, you know, emphasize how important it is to, to do prescribed burns on those lands and to, uh, you know, keep the invasive species down we have our our own preserves that we do that on that we you know plant long leaf and then we do prescribed burns we have our own burn crew and we fight in kogan grass down here so you know those sorts of things the partnerships and and really pushing those agencies to um to improve their properties that's you know one of the ways that we we can improve the habitat for the gopher tortoise
1: um how is the nature conservancy's work with camp shelby important to the military
5: well, we and, and the Nature Conservatives work with military, you know, installations across the southeast and in other parts of the U.S. too. But, you know, the military, just like a private citizen, has to, you know, obey the, the government regulations, and the gopher tortoise is a threatened species, so they have to monitor it. And, you know, they we want them to be able to do their training so they're really well prepared when they, you know, have to, to go overseas. So in order to do that, to be able to continue that training without, you know, having to uh, have restrictions because of the gopher tortoise, that's why we're out there. So if we can you know, protect the tortoise and keep the population up, then they can continue training.
1: So uh, are you optimistic about the future for the gopher tortoise and conservation of longleaf pine systems?
5: Well there's been a real upswing in in longleaf pine conservation and people really paying attention to it and understanding it and remembering back when you know if you're from this area from the southeast remember back when the grandpa you know talked about longleaf pine and what it used to look like and you know you see all these old pictures of these big open you know pine forests down here and it's just not like that anymore and that's you know that's that's because we have you know we, we don't allow fire anymore, and that's the big problem. And you know we see these wildfires out west, and you know part of that is because they've allowed the fuel, which is just anything that'll burn, the fuel to build up, and uh, you know that catches on fire. So um, if we can continue doing prescribed burns down here, then that reduces that fuel and reduces the chance that we might get a wildfire. But it's also really good for the grasses and things that those tortoises eat. So I am optimistic. It's hard. It's hard to to, uh, you know, to deal with a mindset that all fire is bad because it's not. Some fire is good.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Kathy has called in today with a question for us. Kathy, you're on the air. Go ahead.
7: Okay. thank you. I have one comment enjoying your show too. one comment and then a question and I'm going to hang up and. I'm going to hang up and listen Okay. the comment is I guess the hummingbirds are gone now I don't see them and then my question this is one of my uh, things that make you go mmm question because it keeps popping in my mind over the past years and so it's just a question Um, just like the cattle trots that people have in their driveways uh, you know for cattle not to go across the question is like with dogs if you had that for a dog is a dog's mindset different where a dog would maybe try to go across it and possibly hurt theirself, or would it would that prevent a dog from leaving out the driveway and, and if that was the case could you put cattle trots all the way around a small yard to prevent a dog from stepping out or is it totally different totally different with the dog and i'm gonna hang up thank you
1: thanks for your call kathy dr major what do you think
3: Okay, that's a good question, Uh, certainly. uh, We used to call them cattle gaps. Uh, Basically, uh, there would be pipes put down, uh, spaced where if a cow was trying to go across, they would know that they'd have to go through that and possibly get their leg hung. Uh, So most people in the South that have been out in the country have seen those uh, cattle gaps. Uh, I think a dog probably is smart enough that they can negotiate that, and I don't think it would keep a dog from uh getting leaving the property if you will or a dog from coming in, so that's my thinking on that okay
1: uh, just a quick follow- up uh, you know we've talked about uh, the um, the wire the fence the invisible fence are those uh, fairly reasonably priced or is that an expensive thing if you chose that route
3: There are several uh, opportunities on that number one is to have a professional uh person come out that that does that uh as a business the other there are units available for example tractor supply and other places that you can install yourself and in most cases if installed properly and following the directions as far as the use of that most dogs will uh respond to the invisible fence
1: uh let me thoughts on the uh, uh hummingbirds
2: Okay, yeah, ruby-throated hummingbirds are still migrating through. Their numbers have gotten a little lower here at my house. I've got a couple this morning, but uh, don't give up. You might still see a few coming through.
5: Yeah, I've still got a couple at my house, too.
1: Becky, one more question before we go to break. Uh, A healthy longleaf pine system or an ecosystem, how does that matter to maybe the average Joe who's at home that is not particularly interested in wildlife?
5: Well, I just think, a, you know, a healthy ecosystem is good for everyone. It's good for clean water. It's good for clean air. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that we just don't even know about the long system. And, you know, as far as you know, the importance to somebody that doesn't care, well, there's a lot of medicinal plants. And there's also, you know, even the... I think it's a copperhead, you know, the venom of that's used to fight cancer. So there's just all sorts of uses for uh, animals that live in the longleaf pine system. And one one quick uh, thing for Harry that called in earlier, I did find out that there is probably ten to 15,000 uh, tortoises, gopher tortoises left in the western range.
1: All right. Uh, very good. Uh, it is time for another break. When we return, we'll continue talking with our guest Becky Stowe about the Nature Conservancy. Uh, this uh, You can still call in with a question or comment as well, too. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap things up after this.
6: Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest for this hour is Becky Stowe from the Nature Conservancy. Still time to join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 uh, so, Becky, the Nature Conservancy is a national organization and not only working uh, in South Mississippi with the the gopher tortoise, but if you would tell us a little about uh, the mission uh, of the Nature Conservancy.
5: Well, we're trying to, uh, you know, conserve the lands and waters upon which everyone depends. You know, we all depend on clean water and clean air and, and, and a place to live. So we're actually an international organization. We have chapters in all 50 states and I think over 40 countries now so we're taking a a global perspective to conservation what
1: are some of the other projects and works uh, maybe here in mississippi that uh, the nature conservancy is involved with
5: Well, we're doing some floodplain reconnection over on the Mississippi River. Uh, My colleague, Scott Lemons, is working on a project called Lock Levin right now down in the very southwest tip of Mississippi. So he's improving habitat for for wading birds and uh, all kind of ducks and geese. They're doing a a water control structure that's gonna allow about 6,000 acres to flood on a regular basis, so that's going to be really good for waterfowl. Um, We're still doing a lot of work along the Pascagoula River with acquisition and conservation, and um, Tom Mormon, my marine colleague, he's doing some oyster reef restoration work and some living shoreline work, so we've got projects going on all over the state.
1: You know, from past visits with uh, representatives from the Nature Conservancy, one thing I've always been impressed with is that you work with both kind of public and private entities to help get done what you need to get done
5: absolutely you can't get it done without having those partnerships and and we do work with a lot of federal agencies and state agencies and private landowners and private corporations to you know just get a lot more bang for our buck
1: let's go back to the phone lines we have got uh joe on the line with a dog question joe's called from mobile good morning joe go ahead
3: yeah hi i just want to find out uh, if uh, you have a, a suggestion what i can do I got dogs in the neighborhood that come in my yard, and they do their business. You know what I mean. And sometimes it's kind of hard for me because I'm I'm, uh, 77 years old, and I'm kind of handicapped. And and I don't like, and they they bring flies, you know, and stuff. What can I do? That's a real problem. And, of course, I I suppose people are uh, letting their dogs run free. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And uh, there there are a few things that might help, uh, and I'm not certain exactly how big your yard is, this sort of thing, but along the perimeter uh, there is, and some people might disagree with this, but there's a compound, I believe, called Not In My Garden, probably sold at the hardware stores, which has some repellent effect. Uh, yard and garden
0: stores.
3: Like a... Store. Like, uh, like, uh, uh, it's not It's not po it's not poisonous, but at the same time, it has a repellent effect. Talk to uh, yeah. Talk to uh, people in your area that have a similar problem. They may be using something else, but it's going to be difficult. Uh, I don't know uh, how much of a problem it would be. Put up a small fence, even just something to kind of help keep them out of the yard. But uh, I'm concerned, just like you are. And people should not be letting their dogs run free uh, in the neighborhood. So, but check with the yard and garden store, that sort of thing, and see what type of repellent they may have. Okay, like a, okay, okay, like a, thank nur- you very like much. Like a like like a nursery type place where they would have different plants and everything. They have other people have similar problems. That's a great question, and I'll try to do some research on that myself.
1: All right, uh, Joe, thanks for the call. And I would also recommend, Joe, if if you can get in touch with any kind of animal control uh, in Mobile, uh, that might be able to be some of assistance as well. Because as Dr. Major said, it's kind of a nuisance. It's not really good, I don't think, for the dogs and for the people whose yards are being kind of run over. Uh, they didn't ask for the dogs to come in the yard. So I think most responsible dog owners make every attempt to keep their dog uh, in their yard. Uh, Let's get another caller in, and it's uh, Layla in Long Beach has called in. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead.
4: Good morning. I just had a comment. Okay. Um, Y'all mentioned earlier about the invisible fence for the dogs, and they work very well. However, one of the things that people need to understand is they have to train their dog to the invisible fence. Of course, they'll have the collar on and using flags and basically... If you don't train them to it, they have a tendency to just run through it and get out and not come back.
1: All right. Very good. Thanks for that. Uh, good to hear from you and a good comment there that uh, they work well. But, again, as you mentioned, make sure you person d- in- install them correctly and then uh, do whatever is recommended to help teach the dog, make him understand uh, what yeah. it's all about so that he can stay in there uh, in your yard, again, as we just uh, talked about just a minute ago. So thanks uh, for yeah. the call from uh, Long Beach. Uh, our guest this hour is Becky Stowe, Forest Director for the Nature Conservancy. Um, tell us, if you would, about the Phil Bryant Wildlife Management Area.
5: Well, that was a partnership with the state that we had been working on for a couple of years, and that's over uh, north of Vicksburg. And uh, we, we partnered with the state to buy, I want to say, it was a little over 17,000 acres and uh we've you know slowly been turned that over to the state and it's open for hunting from what i understand um that was just another you know good example of a partnership there there was a big tract of land one of the largest tract of of privately owned bottomlands you know in that part of the the state and uh now you know we've made that available to the public and it's going to you know protect the 17,000 acres of bottomland hardwoods and, you know, oxbow sloughs and, and wonderful habitat like that.
1: Uh, one last thing before we leave the gopher tortoise. Is someone liable to come across these if they're maybe out enjoying nature? And if they do, uh, what should they do?
5: Yeah, I mean, you do. If you live in South Mississippi and a sandy area, a lot of times you will come in contact with them. You'll see them. But, I mean, they're they're faster than they look. So they will often just scurry away into their burrow when they see you. So you know, just observe from a distance. That's what I would say.
1: And again, if you would give us a, an idea of of the size, from what we were talking about before, it sounds like these are are somewhat substantial creatures.
5: So uh, the the little two year olds we're we're letting go, they're about the size of your fist, maybe not quite that big, but the five year olds, they are probably you know ten twelve inches across. They're they're fairly large. They're you know. Small watermelon size, I would say. That's what the mature ones are. They're small watermelon size.
1: All righty. And in terms of the Nature Conservancy, if uh, someone has heard this and is interested in the work that you do, uh, how can they help? And then how can they find out more information about the Nature Conservancy?
5: Well, they can certainly get in touch with us at nature.org/Mississippi, and we're we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Or they can certainly you know get online and, and email me directly at rstow at tnc.org.
1: All right, and uh, I'm sure financial uh, contributions are always encouraged. Is there any other way folks can help out?
5: Absolutely. You know, uh, donations are always encouraged. Uh, sometimes we take volunteers, and there's different you know different ways that you can help.
1: All right, that is going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener is Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Becky Stowe, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.